The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. G'day everyone, this is the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast live on Port Fan Radio. I'm your host, Macca19, and joining me as co-host, we have the lovely Porsche. Good evening, Macca. How are you? Very well, thank you. And yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Pretty uh, prepared with the week past, and um, certainly it's shaping up that we're going to have an interesting off-season this year. Indeed, absolutely. It's been a big week for Port Adelaide mm. this week. Extremely. And there's more to come. Absolutely. And our guest this evening is El Scorcho. How are you going, guys? Thanks for having me on again. Great to have you back. Thank you. <laughs> Well, we've got a lot to get through, so let's get straight into it and have a quick chat about the finals. Uh, the first final played uh, on the weekend, Hawthorne versus Adelaide, 72-point win for the Hawks. Uh, as comfortable as you like there. The league's best forward line combo of bets, uh, the new Wayne Carey and that superstar Charlie Cameron uh, combined for one goal and about uh, four <laughs> kicks between them. Yeah, I think this was the result that everyone kind of expected was going to happen Uh during the week and I suppose leading up to it and we got exactly what we expected but uh, it's always nice when the Crows get a little bit ahead of themselves and it's exactly what happened this week I think. Yeah that's true I, I guess for me I was pretty well surprised at just how bad Betts and uh, Walker actually were I mean they were pretty much non-events on the evening and I probably expected a little bit better than that. Yeah that's fair enough. Um, well I, mean, I guess we've been talking yeah, about I what a Betts... great job. Yeah been talking about what a great job Camparelli's been doing. So, um, again, adverse circumstances, and I guess that's still the case that there are adverse circumstances for the Crows. So um, I suppose really you'd have to say that given what happened mid-season, they've had a, a pretty decent result. Oh, yeah, I think they did all right to make finals, but at the same time, they had quite an easy draw. Um, in terms of bets, I think against the, the Bulldogs, he got a lot of of those goals over the back where the Bulldogs were pressing quite high uh, and the Crows were able to kick over the top of that or find their way through. And so Betts ended up being one-on-one. And when he's one-on-one, it's not, you know, it's not particularly difficult for him. Uh, obviously, it's a little bit harder when, when Hawthorne are a lot more organised and are committing a lot more players back and paying him a bit of attention, I guess. Uh, that just, it was a very different game for the Crows in terms of how they were able to attack it. And um, as we were talking about beforehand, the, the Crows just seem to know their way through with the the. Um, the Bulldogs, but it's come out this week that perhaps uh, that was because they had been told beforehand what the Bulldogs were going to do. Yeah. Very dodgy, Mr. Talia. Very dodgy indeed. Mm. Yeah, but we have no real way of knowing if it's true, do we? No. Well, no. it'll come it's, out in the wash. But, you know, they've got, I think, you know, they've got form for dodgy stuff, you know. I just think they're, they're like they're the Patriots without any success. Yeah. <laughs> Who are we That's talking about here, Adelaide or the Bulldogs? <laughs> of course. Uh, Definitely. Oh, well, without any success. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Man, the other final played, Sydney versus North Melbourne, probably not the most interesting of finals. Um, Sydney go out in straight sets, losing by 26 points. Uh, injuries did them in, in the end, really. Uh, North, mm-hmm. they've won nine of their last 11. Uh, I think they were 12th mid-year, and uh, you know they've pretty much ridden their great draw into another prelim. Yeah, no, it's certainly a good result for North Melbourne um, to get as far as they have. Uh, I think there still have to be extreme doubts about them progressing any further, particularly against West Coast. I think that that's pretty much the end of North Melbourne season coming up. 
Uh, and if anyone knows. Take that last final as a, a good way to end it. Mm. 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 Yeah. Disagree? Oh, no, no, no. I, I tend to agree. I, I think North just got they got Richmond at a good time because it was the finals, um, and they got Sydney at a good time because they had half their players out. So, um, yeah, look, that's, I, they're the kind of team that can upset. Uh, yeah, upset yeah, North Melbourne because they do have a lot of players that can come together at the right time. But um, in terms of them being able to do that back-to-back weeks, I, I very much doubt they can do it. And if they can, you think they'll probably get steamrolled by whoever they play in the grand final. So, um, they, yeah, they'd have to be the least favourite by a long way. Yeah, yeah comfortably. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's right. So I guess the most interesting final would be uh, Hawthorne versus Frio. Um, do Hawthorne stand a chance? It'd be um, tough to write them off, really. They've got a lot to play for. They've sort of, I suppose you'd say, they're nearing the end of their grand final contention run, looking at their list, uh, with Pavlich about to zot off into the sunset. Um, but Hawthorne are not exactly a young side these days either. Uh, it'll be a really interesting battle to see what happens. Um, I don't really have a way that I'd favour this game going in, in terms of their form lines. Um, Freo at home in Perth, you'd have to say they're probably the favourites, but I guess what we'll see is that if one side is a clear winner, then the other side might well be on the decline next year. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, I think it's been interesting with Hawthorne in the media over the last couple of weeks because uh, they, they got crushed by West Coast and all of a sudden they were they were on the way down and they were done and this could be it for them. And then all of a sudden they beat Adelaide of all teams who you know were, fell into the finals on the back of a good draw. And mm. um, and all of a sudden now they're, they're a superstar unbeatable team again and they're going to take the competition by storm and and smack Frio and, uh, and and run away with it. So well, I, think, I think Frio in Perth, um, you'd have to think Frio would, would be more desperate I'd kind of wonder if it's a little bit like the old um, in, back in 2004 when Port and Brisbane had both been up the top for a fair while uh, and then, you know, Port won the premiership and the next year it was West Coast and Sydney. It was like completely different teams right up there because the others are just sort of hung on as long as they could. And I feel like it's possible, not saying it is, but it is possible that both of these teams are in that category. We might see something completely different next year. I think we're all sort of hoping for a derby grand final just to see what actually happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I look, it'd be good to see. Um, I, I, don't know, I don't know why it'd be good to see. I think it'd be good to see just from that perspective of our oh, Victorians complaining about non-Victorian teams being in the grand final. But now I think about it, I mean, Victorian teams have been dominating them for a while now. And I sort of include Sydney as a Victorian team, considering they half are. Um, I don't know. I, mm. I think it's a nice thought, but I guess it'll be a really big deal for Perth. And I suppose it'll be there. Their absolute horror of horrors, you know, if you're the winner, then you own Perth, and if you lose, then you can't escape it. So it's, uh, I suppose, pretty high stakes for both teams if that happens, and you'd hope to see a pretty good grand final fight. It might be the best one in a decade. Well, let's move on and talk about Port Adelaide. Um, I guess the first thing to talk about is the delistings. We've made eight changes to our playing group for 2016 so far. Um, off the rookie list come Tom Logan um, after his great career, um, Sam Russell, Johan Wagner, and, uh, of course, uh, Flinney um, at the start of the season. 
And off the senior list, um, Kane Corns retired, and then we say goodbye to three tolls in uh, Jared Redden, Mason Shaw, and Mitch Harvey. Uh, maybe a couple of surprises there. I certainly didn't expect to, uh, the club to delist both uh, Shaw and Harvey. I think it's one of those things where you look at it and at the end of the year when people forget what order everything happened in, it makes perfect sense. So what that says to me is like you're dropping you know, some tall players there that are maybe the, their questions about their ability to work hard or have the fitness or whatever else. Um, but the, the areas they're in, you know, when we sign, we, we signed... It all makes perfect sense. So it could just be that, first of all, it meant that we had shorts over the line, which realistically, given the timing, we must have done. And it also probably means that we worked out a trade for um, Dixon as well. So uh, it's an interesting gambit. It means that we are sort of sacrificing um, the future for today. But I think if we were ever at a point to be considering that sort of ballsy move, this is probably the time to do it because I feel, I've said it previously, I feel like, uh, the rest of our team, our midfield and our defence, is good enough uh, going into next year. And if we can basically just make sure that we've got good enough forwards to get through the next few couple of years, which you'd hope that Shorts and Dixon would do between them, then um, we can have a, a real impact on the competition next year and hopefully Jagger, another key forward. It might also mean that there's a huge amount of faith being shown in someone like um, what Dougal Howard or uh, Logan Austin or Billy, or Billy Frampton even. Um mm to come along, it could just basically say that they're happy with how those project players are regressing to the point that they've sort of overtaken the guys that were drafted a year or two earlier and higher. Um, so either way, it's, yeah. it's kind of good news because it either means that we're really focusing on a premiership push or it means that um, our big allotment of tall guys that we've had on the list a couple of years is starting to show some sort of uh, fruit for the list uh, going forward and they're, they're confident in the guys that we've picked up. I mean, Mason Shaw's a disappointing one. I had pretty high hopes for him. Yeah, I really loved his physical attributes, but he just really failed to develop. And essentially, he was pretty well useless this year after injury. And I don't think you can really afford to do that in this day and age. You need to put your best foot forward when you're out on the park. And, you know, you just couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. well, we're talking about the leadership group a little bit later tonight. And something I'm going to discuss in that section will sort of touch on that. But it's mostly the importance of work ethic to a Port Adelaide side. But we'll get into that shortly. Yeah, look, I think um, I think that that was the thing with Shaw. He just he did have some injury issues, which is 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 a bugger for him. But um, he just didn't do enough when he was on on the field. And uh, I think I think probably Harvey's issues seem to be and the question marks over him were um were maybe his his movement and his his ability to get around the park. And uh, uh, I mean, they talked about his tank, about his agility, that sort of stuff. Um, I think really what's possible, well. Both of them, the list spot is the fact that we played Butcher and he came on and, and played reasonably well. Uh, I think if he he crashed, we probably would have ended up keeping one of them. Yeah, um, probably. So yeah, look, it's interesting. Look, as I, I think, I think, I think Porsche's dead on. Uh, that clearly either means that uh, a, a at the start it meant that we we had Schultz and we were very very confident in getting Dixon. Um, it also meant that we're really happy with how Dougal Howard and maybe Frampton, if he's playing as a forward. However, overall, I mean, I was very shocked, and I think I said something like it'd be a, it'd be a silly list decision beforehand, but. Uh, um, you know, going forward, knowing that Schultz was going to sign up, uh, it's worked out really well. And look, it's a shame because I, I quite like both of those players and, and what they offered. But, uh, you know, going forward, I'm, I'm happy with the decisions we've made. Mm. Harvey, um, I'm going to be very honest here and say I'm just pretty angry about the fact that, uh, not that we delisted him, well, maybe the fact that we delisted him, but for the fact that we actually drafted him to begin with, you know, he was a, to, to draft a slow, unfit, fat kid, and to list him two years later because he's a slow, unfit, fat kid with minimal AFL attributes just does my head in. And 
I said at the podcast at the time I wasn't happy with the pick. We had Michon, who was baffled by it as well. It was a shit pick then. It's an even shitter pick now when you see that Riley Knight goes to Adelaide to pick after and he's played some pretty good footy. And uh, what burns even more is Ben Brown goes to North Melbourne two picks after, who's a 200-centimetre giant with fantastic marking ability, good pace, can chop out in the ruck. He's averaging over one and a half goals a game in his short career to date. Kicked four goals in a final last year, um, two in the first final um, this year. You know, we've made some draft howlers over the years, and you know, obviously every draft, uh, every club has, but I think this one's going to be near the top of the list for a long time. Um, yeah. You're picking a guy because you think there's some potential to progress? Because don't forget, at junior level, he was still reasonable, uh, and there would have been some hope that, you know, uh, we've mm-hmm. talked about it before, you know, that Port Adelaide under Burgess, this one thing we can improve is fitness. Uh, and uh, I think every club would be a little bit confident of that. So if you think, well, all that's missing from Harvey's game is fitness, then maybe it's worth the punt. But if the hard work isn't there or injury or whatever else gets in the way, then, yeah, it doesn't work out. But anything after, say, pick 40 is entirely yeah. speculative. And we made her on call, but I don't think it's anywhere near the worst pick we've made. I think we would have thought we could we could get him fit and get him moving. He just didn't seem to have a lot of agility. Shaw seemed to have that kind of agility, but he obviously couldn't couldn't impact when he was on the park. I think Harvey will be a very good state league player somewhere uh, when he gets to his mid-20s, and I think he'll probably, well, wherever he ends up, I assume it'll probably be in the SNFL somewhere. I think he'll be a very good state player, state league player, uh, but maybe doesn't quite have the you know the, the, the ability to move around uh, uh, fast enough and, and cover enough ground to be an AFL player. He's essentially another Michael Wunke, who, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, pr- pretty similar, really. But the thing that does my head in yeah. is the fact that we, we probably, I don't think there was really many other clubs that were interested in him. If we wanted to, we could have picked him up very, very late in that draft. We chose to jump the gun, pick him up, you know, early-ish, and you know, probably bitten us on the ass to be honest. So that's not one that I'm uh, overly happy with. And you know, if if it is because of fitness that we've dropped him, then. I don't know, maybe he deserved another year or two to see if they could really get that sorted because, you know, he is a good mark. He's a fantastic kick for goal. Um, I don't think he ever really had sort of AFL attributes, but I don't know. I guess we'll see. I guess the other one to talk about, so Jared Redden, his uh, career looks to have come to a close um, because of injury. Um, it seems like his, um, you know, his body just can't really cope anymore with the rigours of AFL footy. Yeah, um... I just think, just think, a couple of years ago, uh, he was the gun coming through, and Loby looked like he was never going to be anywhere. Uh, and that's, that's it seems like so long ago that that was the case. Now, just because he's been so injured uh, and just hasn't been able to get himself into any kind of regular footy and and form. Uh, and in that time, Loby's obviously had a really good 2014, and uh, maybe not quite as good 2015, but uh, probably a, a lot higher level than what Redden's playing. So it's a shame because he, he definitely showed a lot. And I think for a while he was he was looking like he'd be really good, but um, unfortunately your body's got to uh, got to hold up, and it, it hasn't happened for him unfortunately. Uh, for me, I'm not ruling out the idea that he'll get drafted as a ruckman on the uh, on our ruckman on the rookie list. Um, I think that's quite possible. His recovery from injury. Yeah. I mean, with Ruckman, that can take a couple of years to get back to any. I don't think his body's good enough. I think his body's shot. I think that's the reason why. I think his form, you know, his ability is obviously good enough, but I don't think his body can cope with it. So I don't think we'll be redrafting him, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, I don't know. I could see him going on the rookie list. Um, just... I mean, but is you know it depend on the medical report as as Maka says. If if mm. if we think we can get him fit and keep him fit, I mean we've had a bit of success with that in the past uh, with players like Gray and Hartlett who look like they'd never get fit. But um, if we think we can get him fit, I I, I can see us rookieing him. But otherwise, um, you know, 
Uh, I'm not really fussed either way, to be honest. Absolutely. Next uh, topic of discussion is Schulte re-signing. Uh, probably the biggest uh, willy won't he story for Port Adelaide this season. Uh, and it's finally over. After talks of him joining Frio, Jay Schultz has signed a one-year deal to stay at Port for another season, which uh, I've got to say makes me incredibly happy. Yeah, I was going to say, Macca, did you have a little bit of a cry afterwards? Like, oh, that's so lovely, you know. Um, I almost like... did. It was yeah. a zen moment. Yeah, I saw a rainbow at the same time, and uh, yes, I could have died very happy right then. And a baby smiled. A baby did <laughs> smile, yes. And then yeah. my baby vomited on the ground, so that's uh, kind of ruined, ruined it a little bit. But uh, outside of that, yes, very happy, very, very yeah. happy. Schultz's staying. Uh, there was an article over the weekend uh, stating that he was offered four hundred grand over two years, turned it down, was offered one year at four hundred and eighty grand. Um, his manager turned it down, was expected to get a bigger offer from Frio, which never came. Now he's accepted uh, 400k for, for the one year. So looks maybe like uh, Liam Pickering stuffed up on that one a little bit. Um, obviously, that second year would have been nice to have going forward. Uh, and also, um, playing through a season without a contract for the next year, particularly when you're a senior player that has had a injury-riddled career, that must have been so stressful for Schultz in the second half of the year, just trying to think, oh, God, you know, am I going to be playing at all next year? Da, da, da. What if something goes wrong? You'd be paranoid. You'd be watching every door and trying not to trip on anything. It'd be awful. Uh, and I think in that respect, like if there's anything that Schultz could complain about is um, being encouraged by his manager to go for a gambit when he's just probably not in the position to take those sorts of risks with his personal career and his income. Um, Surely when you're 30 and you've had a long history of uh, injury, if someone's offering you 400k over two years, you say, where do I sign? Thank you very much. You'd think that, um, but there's always the tall forward premium. You never know how much someone's going to pay until you put them in a position to pay it. Um, and again, we've talked about this in previous weeks, where Port Adelaide, when they make an offer, they're usually pretty serious, but other clubs are not, and Freo have just sort of obviously disappeared. So, But I don't know, it's hard to say. I wonder just how much he's been screwed over by Cam McCarthy stating that he wants to go home. Yeah, maybe. I think he's talking about Port players going to Frio. I mean, there's not really been a a fantastic track record for the Port players that do that at the tail end of their careers. We've got Francis and Schofield are two that come to mind, and I don't think either of those worked out all that well. Um, I wonder how long it'll take for Port players in their late 20s, early 30s to think, yeah, I'm not going to listen to Frio this time. I don't know. Mm. Coaching changes, two major changes from last week. Uh, Nathan Bassett comes in and will be our defensive coach for 2016, which is fantastic. Um, and we also see the return of Chad Corns to Port Adelaide. He's going to come in and coach the Magpies in the SANFL, which is also fantastic. Um, Gary Hockey moves uh, into Carr's old role in the midfield whilst uh, Nick takes over the forward line. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not um, sure what I think about that. Probably... <laughs> <laughs> The most obvious position for those players, I think, uh, sort of those coaches going forward, I think it's, it's all slotted together pretty nicely. Um, oh, yeah, look, uh, obviously having Chad back at the club, uh, we we are confident that we can control whatever was going on when he was here uh, last time. And I mean, it's good good to be that kind of club that can welcome someone like that back. And he's, he would have had a lot of experience at GW. We've um, had a complaint. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had a complaint throughout the year that uh, we need to have a forwards coach that's a forward. And I think that with us putting Nick's there just seems kind of counterintuitive in that regard. I don't know I don't know if this is sort of him proving that he can be a senior coach and it's being done for that reason. Um, because obviously a senior coach needs to be able to have a good idea of how to manage players all across the ground. Um, but it, it does make me wonder a little bit. 
and Hocking to midfield, I don't know. Are we are we behind Hocking as a an intelligent coach, as a as a strategic coach? Because that's the one thing our midfield really really needs. And I would have kind of preferred to see Nick's in midfield is someone that is really really sharp and can read how players are going and make adjustments to the team accordingly. Um, I mean that's we for me I'd want my most tactically astute coach. And I don't know. I don't know, but I don't know that Hocking would be that guy. I'm a bit worried. Yeah, I look. I, I think he'll be better than uh, better than what we had last year. Um, so I, I'm prepared to give him the benefit out again uh, with him and Voss. That's a lot of. I mean, yes, being a midfielder in 2015 is a lot different to being a midfielder in 19, oh, sorry, 1999 kind of thing. But they've both got a lot of you know improvement. Clearly, I mean, yeah, I guess clearly the. Uh, Ken and the other coaches are quite happy with what they've done. But, yeah, um, I, with Nick's, I tend to agree uh, he, he's not a forward and it's another issue about, you know, how forwards make space and position and stuff. But, um, you know, Nick's, if, he, if he's got senior coaching aspirations, needs to be able to prove that he can get it done. And if he turns us into a really dangerous forward line, that's that's going to be really good for his career. So um, that kind of pressure on him is is good for us. Um, with mm-hmm. Hocking, uh, I... I I think I'll be. Ha- I think we have Carr there last year. Um, yeah. I think I'll be happy with Hocking and Carr. I think, uh, but as you say, uh, short of poaching a, a big name, um, I'm not. Uh, I think this is with with the, with the, I guess the pieces we had. Um, I'm pretty happy with a couple. All right. So what we're going to do over the next six or seven weeks is go through our playing list, uh, see how each player performed in 2015, and maybe what their expectation should be for 2016. Um, each week is going to have a bit of a theme, so we can review similar types of players. Thanks, Porsche, for that idea. Uh, this week, the theme is the captain, so we're going to be reviewing the leadership group, see how they performed in 2015 and what improvements can be made uh, next year. Um, I guess before we start talking about individuals, how do we think the leadership group um, performed as a whole through 2015? Uh, well, look, I mean, if we're talking about them as a group, uh, you'd have to say they didn't really do all that well. Um, I think individual performance was not really where it should be, um, really for any of them. I think that, yeah, I think Hartley would probably be the only one I'd say definitely uh, would have been close. Um, but I think that as far as their ability to also rally the side, I'm not really sure. And But I'm not sure how much of that is on them and how much is on the coaches. Uh, and a lot of that comes down to how the captaincy and the leadership group is structured, I guess, and, and also what sort of authority they have to uh, make changes uh, to the team and uh, what sort of power that uh, Port Adelaide's culture gives them to make positive change. Um, it's very hard to know from the outside, but mm. I'd say that they probably haven't had a great year. I thought it was a bit underwhelming, to be honest. I think there was a, a number of games where we just didn't really seem to have uh, too much leadership out on the park at all. I'm talking about the losses against uh, Carlton and Brisbane, maybe Geelong as well, maybe the Crows in the second showdown. Um, I'm just not really sure what our on-field leaders were doing during those games uh, to stop those embarrassing losses. Basically, uh, yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I think they'll statistically they're all pretty similar to to where they've been for the last few years, uh, but just not seeming to have that ability to pick us up and drag us over the line. Bar maybe Hartlett, who probably had his best year for the club. Um, you know, the likes of Boak, Loby, um, and Jonas, I, I guess just just didn't seem to have that kind of uh, ability in. in 
you know, late in games to to make make sure we won, uh, make sure we win the game like they did in 2014 and even 2013. One of the topics that got brought up mm. uh, in the thread on Bigfoot is uh, the question of is our leadership group too big? Do we need to cut it down a little bit, or is empowering more play, uh, more players on the park the right thing to do? Uh, I think that I'm not sure that that's necessarily the question. Um, I think it comes down to how we want to govern the team as a whole. Um, I don't think there's ever can really be too many leaders, um, but there probably can be too many people giving orders. So that might be where the issue is coming from. Um, this is an unusual structure in that we have captains on the team, on, on the field, sorry. But I don't know if it's entirely clear what their precise duties are because we have a lot of assistant coaches and we've got a head coach and they'll have an input on how players perform on the day, and every single one of those coaches is more definitely listened to than uh, the captains would be. So it's really quite a complicated thing to organise, I suppose, work out what they're responsible for. So on the field, what is Boak responsible for? Like, he's not responsible for making positional changes. He's really just responsible for making sure that people work fairly hard, uh, in which case I'm not sure how much he can do on the field. Um, and then it comes down to what do the captains do off the field, and that can be encouraging other players, um, seeing a good example through their own work ethic, uh, and basically keeping you know players not in line because that's really the wrong way to look at it when you're dealing with elite players, but just keeping them focused. And that's very hard to tell uh, whether we had that happen. But I guess the result would say for the most part we were not focused, and maybe that was part of where we fell down is just that um, the, maybe the roles for the captains were not clear, and that could be part of the issue. Mm. Well, we have seen the likes of Lobie and Jonas dropped earlier. Had they not been part of the leadership group? I, I think definitely. And I think maybe that was a bit of a bit of the issue is that uh, we probably had a few of these guys. If we look at Ebert, Lobie, Jonas, uh, who are down on form, uh, even Boke a little bit. Uh, I think if you look at you know, Trengove and Wines had injury issues. Um, and, and maybe that was affecting their ability to do what they needed to do on the field and, and really stand up. Uh, when when Lobie's worried worried about not putting every hit out down the throat of an opposition midfielder, uh, he can't focus on being a leader. Uh, when Jonas is getting beaten, he can't be a leader. Uh, and I think maybe that was an issue across the board. When, when Ebert's worried about where his kicks are going uh, and making sure he's hitting targets, uh, it affects their ability to to, to, to be leaders and and uh, do, you know drag people along just by their by you know do as I do kind of thing. So um, I think maybe that was an issue all year. Um, and, and, you know, on top of that, then, you know, obviously Jonas and Lobie should have been worried about their form for a long time before they were dropped. Um, and maybe that's affecting, again, their ability to lead the team. And that's why uh, that's why we just didn't seem to have any leadership, maybe, uh, because these guys are so worried about um, their own form that they can't really worry about everything else. If the, Look, if that's the case, and I'm not saying it's not the case, but if that, that is the case, um, then that really, I think that just kind of epitomises the, the problem we have as far as leadership culture. And it's a problem that's not unique to Port Adelaide. It's a problem that every AFL club has, which is that you have to walk a line between making your culture about mm. talent, mm. prestige, and hard work and performance. Those are really the four things you need to think about. Um, so if you look at Lobby and Jonas, um, we say that, okay, if they're out of form, then they can't lead. And it's like, well... Why is their form, why is their personal form an impact on their ability to be a leader? Um, if it is, then it says that we're making our leadership based on prestige um, and that is not really a good way to go. That's how you end up with, um, well, I suppose, a previous Port Adelaide with Choco making comments like 80% of Sean Burgoyne is better than 100% of another player. Um, that's probably too much leaning towards the idea 
that talent and prestige are the things that you measure seniority in a side by. And this is certainly a talented leadership team. Um, but it's conflicting with the idea that you reward hard workers. Um, you know, if you put in a, a team full of hard workers as your leadership group, well, there's a, a nice quote that I actually wrote down, which is from General William Westmoreland, and it uh, basically goes like this. It is certain only with either fortune or discipline can catastrophe be avoided. Of the two, the only one you can never run out of is discipline. Um, it's really, and you'll see a lot of things in, I suppose, leadership uh, documents basically saying that the hard work is the most important thing. Um, Foss Williams, you look back at the creed, uh, and it's all about uh, personal sacrifices yeah. and aggression, and neither of those things uh, require talent uh, to actually be functional. And so when you talk about leadership, and particularly leadership in the Port Adelaide side, it really has to come down to hard work. And that's where we see the conflict between hard work and talent because we're seeing in this off-season, I feel like what we're seeing is that uh, Ken Hinckley is being forced to make a stand on where he values those two against each other. And I think in the past he's valued hard work. Uh, and certainly under listings, you'd have to say, dropping Shaw and Harvey and Redden potentially indicating a leaning towards hard work over talent. But um, then you sort of think, okay, what about the guys that we're keeping? So Mitchell, yeah, he works pretty hard. Paul Stewart, I guess he works fairly hard. Um, at what point do you say hard work is the uh, the core of our team, um, but then not also say, well, actually, talent is quite important to us too? Because hard work is great for leadership. Talent is hard for leadership. It's hard to manage egos and it's hard to manage status within a team if you base it around talent. So it's a real challenge. Um, I think that the good Port Adelaide sides, um, they rely on hard work, but it's between a team of uh, players that are actually fairly level on talent and that might be the area where we are certainly improving and that makes the leadership easier as well, I suppose. Mm. Uh, well said. Um, right, let's uh, start talking yeah. about some of the individual leaders. Um, obviously, the place to start is our captain, Travis Boak, who's uh, 27 years old. He played uh, 22 games uh, this year, kicked 13 goals, played every game for the first time in his career. Average uh, 25 and a half disposals, five clearances, four inside 50s, and five and a half tackles per game. Uh, was probably slightly down on his output from last season, but for me, um, was pretty well down on his influence across the season as a whole. Yeah, look, it's pretty sad that we're looking at our captain who's getting an average of 25 possessions and saying he had a down year, but it's also kind of good as well. Um, we know he can play better than that, and you'd have to say that probably the support in midfield wasn't there that there, there could be. Um, I think going into next year, uh, I think just the structure of our midfield is going to improve and make it more viable for Boak to stand out. So he had hurt a down year, but part of that is team performance because he cops tags. Um, but if we see, uh, again, we've talked about it previously, Pollock come back. If we see Brendan Archie continue his form, if we see Ollie Wines come back, Sam Gray continue to perform at a decent level, then that certainly should open up some space for Boak to, I suppose, be a bit more obvious on the field next year and I suppose that always is going to help a little bit with um, being a positive leadership role on field as well um, but this year certainly a little bit disappointing I don't know if it's all his fault A couple of people on the forum mentioned um, do we think that Boak maybe suffered the most from uh, the lack of support from Wines and Polek being injured throughout the year Yes absolutely mm, I think so too Yeah. I think that was uh, one of the real sort of noticeable things about Travis's game this year was that um, 
for me, he really seemed to struggle with getting the outside ball. He always seemed to be under intense pressure every time he went near it. And, you know, often rushed his disposal a little bit. He didn't really have many people sort of blocking for him, um, and that was that was a major part of his game, um, which I thought uh, went missing a little bit this year. Yeah, well, I mean, if he's trying to play that middle role, sort of part inside, part outside, then if you take away the sort of the pure inside guy in Wines and the pure outside guy in Polek, as pure as they can be, then you're sort of cutting both his legs off uh, and he's just sort of going around on his knees, um, literally sometimes. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's not great. He had all his support cut out. So, again, I don't think it's on him a lot of his form for this year, but just unfortunate uh, injuries. Yeah. I didn't think he had a bad year. I just... Didn't think he had the season that uh, maybe he was expecting and certainly not at the level of his previous two. I still think he'll probably finish in the top five in the best and fairest, though. Um, Scorcho, mm. how did you see your season? Uh, yeah, look, I tend to agree with you guys. I think, uh, you know, statistically, he wasn't that far down. And he was getting involved, but he was just copying a pretty hard tag. And uh, I think the real difference was just he didn't have any, well, as many of those games where he just seemed to to pick us up and drag us over the line when we were close. Um, and and I, I definitely agree that the lack of uh, guys like Wines and Pollock uh, and maybe the, the lower form of guys like uh, someone like Ebert hurt, hurts him. Um, so, yeah, look, I, overall, not he didn't have too bad a year. I think, he, as you say, I think, think he would definitely be top five in the best and fairest. Um, but just didn't have those really high moments where, you know, where he, where he really... Uh, I guess I guess won a game for us of his, of his own boot. It just didn't seem to happen as much this year. Um, no doubt, I mean... The, as as Porsche said, it's a, it's a pretty good thing when someone can have a, as year as good as he did, and we're all a little bit disappointed with it. And mm. uh, you know, hopefully next year we've we've got a few players back, and and he's um and he's able to put it all together again and and, and get off the chain a little bit and, and really hurt some teams because I just don't think it was as damaging this year. Yeah, I tend to agree with what you guys are saying. And, and just one other thought on that is that um having a year where he has been forced to grind out every possession. Um, that's going to have him in fantastic stead in future years because it means as soon as they let him go a little bit, he knows how to put up a, a really tough patch. And so as soon as he's got a little bit of space, he's going to be in a position to punish sides because, yeah, if you don't watch him every second, and he's used to being watched every second now, um, I think he could become a more explosive midfielder uh, for those momentary lapses in opposition sides. So yeah. I think it's yeah, been a, a good yeah. year for him to become accustomed to that sort of pressure. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. I think uh, I think Boke's one of those players in the AFL, and there's a few of them where you just absolutely have to tag him uh, because he, he his influence can be cut by the tag. Uh, but if you don't tag him, he explodes and has those forty possession three goal games where he just uh, absolutely dominates. Um, so I mean that that's also good for guys like Gray, uh, Pollock, uh, even Wines going forward, where they're not going to have to cop that tag because Boke's doing it for them. Um, and if if someone goes, oh, we should probably maybe put, give a bit more. More attention to Robbie Gray. We'll send our best tag to Robbie Gray. Boat just explodes and has a ridiculous game. So, I mean, if his performance is down going forward, as long as overall as a team, our midfield's performing really well, I can probably handle that uh, because we know he's always going to get the first tag. Um, yeah. And and he's still be able to perform at a reasonably good level uh, with that tag. Um, you know, and, and there will be games going forward where he'll have been a little bit quiet. Someone will go to Gray and both will get 40 touches uh, and absolutely dominate the game. So... Uh, just just teams that aren't smart enough to uh, to remember to tag him. So, but yeah. yeah, hopefully next year he can he can break free a few a few more times into this year. Yeah, I think we also saw maybe yeah. a little bit of a change <laughs> in the way that he was actually played this year. He seemed to spend a lot less time up forward. Certainly through uh, 2013 and 14, he did spend a fair bit of time on a forward flank and 
Um, you look at the stats, he only took six marks inside 50 this year. Last year he took, took uh, 14. He kicked his uh, lowest amount of goals since 2012 as well. So I thought that was maybe a little bit of a, a change in the way that he was uh, played, maybe because of the team struggling um, in the midfield um, for much of the year. So he, maybe the coaches thought that uh, he needed to spend more time um, in the centre yeah. square itself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's the case, Michael. He certainly had some good games, though. I thought uh, round four versus Hawthorne, uh, 30 touches. He was fantastic. Uh, in the first showdown, 33 touches and goal. He was brilliant as well. And uh, mm. and the game against Essendon um, at Eddie had, I think he had 28 touches and two goals. So certainly had a lot of very good games, but um, maybe a, a few more poor ones than, uh, than we kind of were expecting uh, throughout the year. I didn't think he was all that good against Sydney or Geelong. Um, and the two games late in the year against uh, Gold Coast and GWS, I thought he struggled. Yep, no, I'd agree with that. Um, but I think that his consistency, like even across all those games we're talking about where he had a fantastic game or a poor game, I think he's been pretty decent in all of them. Like there's none where you just sort of, there's none of their losses where you'd say, oh my God, Boke was terrible that game. I think he, even in the worst games, he was still pretty decent. So um, yeah, it's a good season to see from your captain in that respect. Uh, I think it was just, yeah, yeah good consistency. No doubt. All right, moving on, uh, Brad Ebert, he's his uh, 25-year-old vice-captain. He also played 22 games, kicked 10 goals, uh, making it 93 consecutive games for the club since he crossed over from West Coast. Um, Ebo averaged uh, 23.2 disposals a game, a career high. He also had five and a half tackles, three and a half inside 50s, and three clearances a game. I thought his season as a whole was pretty similar to last year, maybe the year before as well, where he had a really huge first half of the season People were sort of talking about him in sort of all Australian circles uh, before really struggling through the second half of the season. He averaged 25 touches to round 11, uh, only 20 after that. Um, and as we've spoken about on, on the podcast before, maybe his quality of disposal really let him down uh, throughout the year as well. Yeah, um, I guess if I was pinpointing someone slightly less obvious to say, to query the leadership team spot, it might really be Ebert. Um, I think certainly, yeah, obviously his finishing ability is very iffy at best. But also I think I think back on his year and I think, yeah, he's had some pretty good games. But he's not a player I really think of as being someone that straightens us up on the field or really does any of those obvious leaderly things on the field to really justify that leadership team position. And I'm not saying you know, uh, that he's terrible at it, but I'm just wondering whether there might be someone better suited to that kind of role than um, Brad Ebert going into next year. Um, I'm just not um, I'm not convinced that he's the right fit for the leadership team, honestly, unless he does something amazing off-field. I, th- I, th- I think what, uh, what Ebert brings is that real, uh, like, just running power. And obviously in 2014, he was the one who was streaming forward, taking a you know, semi-contested mark uh, as, as the opposition team, I guess, scrambled back to try and try and stop us. And he was really that, that link man, and his, his work rate was just amazing. And for him to have pretty similar numbers, even better numbers, in a year where teams set up to stop exactly what he was doing is a credit to his work rate. And I think that's probably what he offers in terms of leadership is, is I guess, just he's, he's one of the hardest working players in our team and has been since we got him over. Um, I, I guess his uh, his issue this year was just kicking. He just he seemed to do the, uh, you know, the Ben Jacobs style. Um, you know, he, it's not like he shanked a kick. He just kicked it directly to uh, the advantage of an opposition player. Uh, and I mentioned it in another podcast when my mum said earlier in the year, she reckons maybe he's got a vision problem because, you know, it's not like he's, he's in, uh, you know, a John Butcher set shot. You know what I mean? It's, it's, he doesn't have a bad looking kick. Uh, he just seems to miss uh, the, an opposition player standing where he's about to kick it. Um, and, and his, his turnovers hurt. And 
you know, especially where the, the kind of places on the on the ground that he's he's turning the ball over, uh, tends to hurt us. So mm. hopefully he can sort that out. Whatever is causing that issue, whether it is um it is just the fact that he's uh, fatigued, or whether there is something else on top of it. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I think his work rate was really good, and you know, hopefully we're able to uh, to break free a little bit more in terms of game plan and not be so kind of uh, uh, cut down by what the opposition are doing. Uh, and I think his work rate will really shine through, and and mm. uh, w- when that happens, so uh, hopefully he can have a better year. But yeah, uh, just just that disposal is going to be fixed. I think he's probably a bit of an interesting case study because his last couple of seasons have followed suit uh, pretty much the same. And you know, it is really the second half of the season where his foot skills really do sort of struggle. So I'm, I do wonder if um, it is maybe a fatigue thing, maybe he's sort of struggling with fitness through the second half of the season. Maybe he's running himself ragged a little bit, and uh, and his uh, foot skills are sort of um, you know paying the price because of that. Yeah, look, I'm not convinced it's a foot skills thing. And just thinking back, I mean, when you think about the reputation that Brad Ebert had at West Coast before we traded for him, um, it was much the same story. Like, they didn't think he was a, a good at pinpointing targets. Mm. Um, and so it could be a vision thing, but it could... One of the things that all the recruiters love is when someone has that thing that Stephen Salopek was reputed to have, which is that, I think, they call it psychomotor, or the ability to... Uh, take in information and make a decision and actually absorb that information. So when you look around the field, you can see where all the matchups are without having to go through and pick them all out. Um, it could be that that's where Ebert's floor is as opposed to like actual you know ocular vision. It could just be just reading that information and turning it into something useful in time to make a, 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 a sensible disposal. And if that's the case, I mean, that's not something you can really improve unless, mm. I don't know, maybe maybe he gets a prescription of playing Xbox 12 hours a day or something. I have no idea. But, uh, yeah, I, I would suspect it's probably more like that. And so fatigue could be an issue because fatigue will always inhibit your ability to focus and maybe that's something he needs to focus on more. So I think, it, yeah, it could be that combination of fatigue and that that lack of that natural ability to just take in information really quickly and make a, a decision on that basis. It's an interesting point because it's quite often the fact that he turns it over when he's on his own, when he's sort of having an uncontested mm. kick, he's on his own, you know, no one really near him within about 10, 15 metres and he kicks inside 50 straight down the throat of an uncontested opponent. So... Uh, it's not like he's sort of running as hard as he can and you know he's under pressure getting pushed as he kicks and he turns it over it's often the fact that he's um you know he's pretty much on his own so it is pretty interesting i guess we'll see how his year goes next year um i think his leadership's probably okay i'm not sure he's the most vocal person out on the ground but i'd i don't know maybe he doesn't really need to be i'm not too sure I kind of wonder, like, just going back to my previous comment about um, hard work versus talent, like whether this is one of those cases where we're seeing that preference for hard work over talent. I'm not saying he's untalented, but that it's more about the fact that he puts forward that example of um, you, uh, that old Tom Logan thing, like, you must work this hard to get in the side. Uh, and maybe that's, as you say, maybe that's the reason he's on the, the leadership team. Yep. All right, moving on, Matthew Loby, uh, another vice-captain. He's 26 years old. Obviously, he's a ruckman. He played 17 games in 2015, averaged 8.2 disposals a game, 30.4 hit-outs, um, and a massive 1.7 marks a game. Uh, we knew, I guess, his numbers would be lower this year with, uh, with Ryder in the team. I guess we all hoped um, he could become an asset maybe somewhere else on the ground, maybe up forward, um, but it just didn't happen. Yeah, no, it's definitely a, a disappointing year for the Lobster. Um, again, if we talk about it in the context of him being in the leadership group, uh, 
I'm not certain that I'm not certain why he would have been a selection for that. I know that he certainly like it repeatedly off field like he's what the head of that state club, the medium res and things like that. Like that. So he obviously does a lot of things to keep morale up for the guys, and maybe that's enough to get a, a gig on the leadership team. But um, I think that even last year when he was performing reasonably well in ruck, I, it's weird having a ruckman in a leadership capacity, except for leading other rucks and of the rucks on our list. I mean, Ryder didn't really need a, a leader, I suppose. Uh, it's, it is a bit of a solitary role. So what the purpose of his place on that leadership team is, I'm not sure. Uh, obviously, his personal performance was a very disappointing year. Um, it's hard to know how much of that is to do with any changes in uh, how we were setting up to take advantage of Ryder and whether that affected uh, the tendency uh, of our midfield to set up in mind of a more agile ruck than Lobby is. Um, it's hard to say. Hopefully, it's one of those things that they can work out over the off-season, um, but it just wasn't working. And I don't, unfortunately, I don't think that at the end of this year we really have any signs that it's been fixed our ruck situation um mm. you'd have to say he'll get dropped from the leadership group in this off season maybe he will maybe he won't i'm not too sure i think um he was added to the leadership group because he pretty much single-handedly led the ruck by himself the last two seasons and worked his ass off and i think um it was that sort of recognition from the club to say hey you you know you're worthy of being in the leadership group because of that is it about that? That's the thing. Is the leadership group should that really be about that prestige, or should it be about you know a functional purpose? Because as you said, he did it on his own, um, and really, I think that Lobby is probably one of those guys that if it's a one-on-one duel, he probably does a bit better um, rather than being part of a team thing, which probably explains a little bit of why he's less effective around the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that's not the sort of personality you'd say would be naturally a leader. I would have thought. Yeah. Oh, look. I mean. I- in terms of him as a leader, um, I mean, I guess he's just he's he's a an older player in the team. Uh, he had a he quite quite a good year in 2014 where he was working quite hard. Um, but I, I tend to agree, you know, is I mean, unless he does a lot uh, off field that we don't know about, um, you know, what what does he really bring as a leader this year in terms of his form? I I couldn't believe he was playing as long as he was, and I'm sure he wouldn't have been had we uh, had we um, I, I guess. Not had him in the leadership group. Uh, he still still got a lot of hitouts. He still his hitout numbers weren't bad, but he just it was almost like he was it was like he was doing a ruck drill and not really hitting to anyone. And, and the amount of times teams seemed to read a, a lobby tap straight down their throat while our midfielders were all uh, wrong footed by by his tap was was staggering. Um, I'm not sure who's running our, our our kind of midfield strategy or whether that's part of it. Uh, but it was really really hard to watch a lot of the times this year. Um, you know, uh, and he's still working hard and. You know, I, I guess uh, early on I thought maybe it was a bit to do with the fact that he'd been injured and he maybe he was carrying something, but it just went on all year. Um, and you know, my best twenty-two going forward would not have Loby in it. It would be you know, uh, uh, it would be Ryder as the sole ruck with Dixon backing him up um, because I just don't like it's a liability. He's a liability when he's feeding opposition midfielders that much, and he doesn't offer enough around the ground to make up for that. Yeah, um, it was certainly a poor year. Um... <clears throat> I think that everything we're saying about him is saying this is probably more a prestige appointment than a functionality appointment, which that's kind of a bit worrying. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what we do with that. Mm. So where do we go with Lobie? Like, you mentioned, Scorch, that he would be out of your round one team next year. I mean, 
is it worth trading him? There's been a lot of discussion yeah. about whether he's, um, you know, whether that's the the path that we need to actually take. Um, is that, you know, a worthy thing to do? I tend to think we just I, look at this stage. Sorry, yeah, at, at this stage of the um, if he if we have I guess Ryder go down, we need him playing. We don't have anyone else who's senior, so I I, I wouldn't trade him at this point. Uh, I would foresee that maybe next year he'll be traded when he doesn't play a game. If I had my way, uh, but you know uh, at this stage I keep him on the list because it's he's an experienced backup, and you know why he was is a bit of a liability. He's he's not getting you know uh, you know beaten by like Jacobs when he uh, got beaten by Jacobs and Jacobs. He had like 70 hit outs. Um, he's just, just struggling a little bit. So I keep him on the list and, you know, uh, as a good backup. And if eventually he decides he wants to be traded because he's not getting an opportunity, then we trade him. But uh, he's also probably fairly popular amongst the players. And given that, you know, I think given how kind of close our, our playing group seems to be, I'd be wary of trading any of those kind of integral members of that uh, against their will. Um, but uh, yeah, look, I just don't see a spot for him in the team the way he's playing. I need a big upswing in form. Yeah, I think it comes down to an assessment of how willing and how ready our midfield is to play to a losing ruck. So if we talk about the potential of playing Ryder and then having either a part-timer or I suppose even potentially a, a, like an under-20-year-old ruckman come in as a backup, because remembering that we don't have a sub ball next year, so we can do things like that again. Um, if we feel that we're already capable of playing to a losing ruck, which potentially we are, particularly with our strong defensive setup, um, it might be that we do just say, okay, well, we only need one ruck for the next couple of years until we have someone, you know, that can be an aggressive uh, attacking ruckman for us. And it might be that Ryder is that, but as a second option. And it might be that we do seek to trade Lobby. Um, I really am reluctant to think that we wouldn't trade him because he's a good bloke. Uh, I think that if we're aiming to be a premiership side in the next couple of years, and realistically we are, we need to have an acceptance, not just at list management level, but across the whole club, that there are going to be sacrifices to achieve that goal and that that can mean that good guys get cut um, and yeah. not after you've given them every opportunity to perform, but to actually do it when the team needs it and not when the players deserve it or not by whatever measure you give that. Um, it's really got to be about team and club first. And yeah. one of the ways in which you set the tone yeah. is through your list management. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where we are with Lobby. Um, I certainly wouldn't yeah. want us not considering a, a, a valuable trade that could get us closer to a premiership because he's a good guy. I think if we had another um, sort of competent ruckman on our list that's a bit experienced that could fill in, um, I think we may be saying goodbye to Lobby, but I think it may be just a little bit too hard to do that at this point unless we can trade in another ruckman, which I'm not sure we'll be able to do, but... I know, it's a tough one. I, I really like Lobie, um when he's in form. <laughs> I just need him to, to do a bit more. You know, We just need something from him around the ground. And I guess that's the other issue is that can we afford to be playing Lobie when he's just a complete non-event, when he's not actually in the art of ruck work? Well, yeah. It's, um, it's like watching the Crows, and I think I've given this example before, it's like watching the Crows when it was Matthew Clark as their number one ruckman. And you'd love it because, yeah, he'd probably do okay with a lot of the taps, but as soon as he didn't have the ball, he was just a, a dead weight on the field. Mm. Um, and as much as Matt Lobby's played well, um, I still feel like his best game mm. is probably only about the same level as, um, say, a Brendan Lay fairly good game or a Matthew Primus fairly good game or a Dean Brogan fairly good game. Um, I think he's got has one of those 
form lines that yeah. because he's sort of popped up during an era where we've been kind of shit, we think he's better than he is. And I'm not convinced he has offered, even at his peak point, anything close to what we would normally expect of a top rate Ruckman. I don't think his lack of marking is a is a massive issue in itself. I mean, Nick Natanu is one of the best Ruckman in the league, and he's probably the worst uh, worst marker in the league as well. He pretty much never, ever takes any marks. Um, but it's the fact that Lobie actually doesn't actually perform anything else around the ground. He doesn't win clearances. Um, he doesn't pick up the ball. He certainly doesn't kick goals. I think that's um, probably the main issue that I have with Lobie. Yeah, like, I mean, he's not the guy that you sort of see chipping in on halfback or half forward as part of a, a run down the field. Mm. Um, he's really not involved in that at all for the most part. If he's lucky, he gets on the tail end. Um, but as far as actual structure, uh, our important the importance of our ball movement, he's just really a non-factor for us. Uh, honestly, I think the more we're talking about Lovely, the more I'm thinking, yeah, we, we yeah. really should trade him if we can. Mm. When, uh, when, that, when, when his ruck work uh, fell away so much, his... Um... His stuff around the grounds, you, know, you can't get away with that. You've got to be doing very, very well your, your, your stoppage work uh, when you're that uh, much of a liability around the ground. And he's not offering enough to be in my team uh, at the moment, I don't I think. Mm. Uh, not when we've got Ryder, who's a perfectly good replacement. If he was the only ruckman on our list, then it's a different story. But he's not anymore. We, we paid a lot to get a, a good a elite ruckman, and we've got one. Uh, why play Lobie? Yeah. No, all fair points. Uh, moving on, talking about Jackson Trengove, who's next on the leadership list. Uh, he's 24 years old, plays as a centre-half back, uh, played 15 games, the lowest in his career since his uh, gameless debut season. Um, he averaged 12 touches, 3.8 marks, and 1.8 uh, rebounds from the defensive 50 per game. Had a really great start to the season, played some really strong football in the first half of the year uh, before missing some games with injury mid-year. Um, he beat the likes of uh, Zach Clark, Kurt Tippett, Josh Jenkins, Jesse White, and Rory Lobb throughout the season. Um, how do we see uh, Trengo's season? Look, basically, overall defensively, he was quite good. Um, I think uh, he, he, he beats as many. He seems to read the, the ball coming in quite well, and he takes a lot of important intercept marks. Um, I think, our, I guess, our structure fell away a little bit defensively when we lost both him and, uh, him and Carlisle. Uh, we missed him a bit. Uh, I think the story of the year for Trangove was the lack of rucking, and I think you know when when rucking was an issue all year for us, um, he just did not uh, did not take any centre bounces for for whatever reason this year uh, when he was so dangerous in that role in 2014. Um, defensively, he was quite good, and you know I think we'll have some selection headaches next year with with him and Carlisle. You'd assume um, automatic ins, um, uh, and and our other tall defenders playing quite well. So, um, but yeah, look, I just want to see him ruck more. I, th- I think. Overall, he had a reasonable season when he was fit without being outstanding. Um, but he really had that awesome extra string to his bow uh, with his, you know, late game rucking, where he jumped all over the opposing ruckman's head, and 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 just his competitiveness around the contests. Uh, and you know, he, he's a he's a good defender, but he became a very very dangerous player when he had that role as well. And when he's not doing that, he's just a good defender. Yeah, I mean, look, he won us games playing in the ruck in previous seasons. He won us a showdown in the last quarter, yeah. uh, playing in the ruck. So the fact he didn't play pretty much any ruck at all this year was uh, pretty disappointing for me. And certainly at stages in the season, we really, really did need that. Um, we needed someone different going in there. I don't personally have an issue with Trengove not playing in ruck this year, and I don't have a problem with him not playing in ruck much at all. Um, I think he's proven he can do it. 
Uh, and I think that that makes... Uh, I think one of the things you see in premiership sides is that sometimes players that have a bit of flair, they rein it in and they only bring it out on certain occasions. And I think, for me, that's what Trengove has really done this year. Like, he's he's been a, a solid defender. Um, the fact that he hasn't been filling in ruck, it certainly gave the opportunity for our actual ruckman to perform and that hasn't happened but that opportunity was there because we weren't just stopping a gap uh similarly Trengo was given more opportunity to to really lock down the defensive role and concentrate solely on that but here it comes you know when we come to finals time in future years we know that Trengo can be a pinch hitter and ruck and it'll always be one of those things that the opposition will sort of have to take account for or be concerned about is the fact that we might put Trengo in ruck and if we don't do it every week, then that makes it much more threatening when we do because we know what's going to happen and they may or may not have prepared for it based on previous matches. So it just becomes a trick. It becomes a trick like, what, Trent Orman Allen in Ruck or it becomes a trick like Westhoff in Ruck. It becomes something you bring out occasionally when it's something that's tactically useful for the team and it doesn't become something you rely on and it gives an opportunity for people that are actually full-time Ruckmen to develop in that role, uh, which certainly with someone like Billy Frampton on the list um, that's something we want to leave space for, uh, for the actual rucks to be a better at ruckman, get better at ruck work. Because we know Trengo can pinch hit, and we've just established that now, and that's not going to change. I guess maybe, um, maybe it was a case. Yeah, no, no, no I, look, I, I, I get what you're saying, and maybe it was a case of we, we really wanted to push the, uh, the, the rider Trengo, sorry, rider Lobby partnership early on, and I imagine that's what mm. we wanted to do. And maybe you thought we won't. Um, you know, Trengo is a very important part of our back line. Uh, we won't risk him in the ruck and have him, you know, uh, battering his body into opposition ruckmen all day. Uh, and we'll, we'll leave him down there as an important back uh, because we don't need him in the ruck anymore. Uh, I think as the season went on, then we, it turned out we did need him a little bit more. And I, I think both Ryder and Lobie missed uh, a stack of games. And, you know, they probably only played about half the games between them uh, when they were both playing all year. So, um, yeah, that could be what they're thinking. And I, I've no doubt we'll definitely see him in the ruck at some point in the future. Um, yeah, uh, I just thought it was a bit of a shame because he just because he had shown so much. Um, but I, I definitely I, I agree with what you're saying about him being a um, – you know, that being something he can, he can bring out when we need it. Um, and him, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with him just being a very good key defender. Um uh, and that's what what we need, and he's very valuable in that role. He reads the play quite well. He's a general back there. Uh, he's physical, uh, which we lacked early on in the year. Um, so yeah, look, I, I, I'm overall I'm quite happy with his form. I just thought it was a bit of a shame given how he did win us games the year before that it didn't happen. But uh, if we are going forward with that Loby uh, Loby Rider duo, or maybe uh, Dixon Rider duo in the ruck or something like that, then I can see him him missing again and only coming in when we need him. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, no, I don't disagree with that at all. I think that's good. But overall, he had a pretty good year when he was on the park. Yep. Next player to talk about Tommy Jonas, 24 year old halfback, um, 17 games for 13.4 disposals, 2.3 rebounds, uh, and the same in tackles as well. Uh, Mr. Reliable is probably the one player who suffered the biggest downturn in form in 2015. Um, I thought he had a really good start to the year, was great on Walters in round one, really good on Bruce in round four, good on Gartlett in uh, round nine. But after that, he was a bit of a mess, had five or six really bad games where he just seemed to lose all confidence with the bowl, constantly turned it over, uh, defended poorly, and ended up dropped. Uh, I guess credit to him, he came back and played uh, some really good footy um, to end the season, four really solid games there. Um, But we really do need Jonas back at his best next year. 
Yeah, I look, I think that Jonas's season was pretty much the tail of our yeah. defence. Um, that form line you mentioned pretty much corresponds exactly to our defensive group as a as a team, basically. Um, I think our best games, obviously, at the start of the year and in the end of the year, uh, across the board for halfbacks, back pockets, you know, talls, everyone. Um, and so when that sort of thing happens, and it, uh, for me, it sort of points to one of two things. It either points to the idea that Jonas is the linchpin of our defence, or that what was happening with Jonas was a symptom of our defence rather than necessarily his own individual form. Obviously, his own form is going to have some impact on that, and particularly when you're mentioning his disposal, it certainly is a, a factor. But um, there's something bigger in uh, something bigger going on when there's that kind of correspondence. I feel, and I think that uh, yeah, I, I'm disappointing with Jonas's middle of the year, but I think going into next year, I've got no real issue with him staying in the side and performing the role he has previously. I think our defensive units matured a lot. Um, and I think with Nathan mm-hmm. Bassett in the side, I mean, that, he plays the Nathan Bassett position in our defence uh, effectively. Um, I think that he'll, he can only improve. Yeah. Uh, look, I've, I can't think of a team, like a player who seemed to have lost so much about his game uh, over an off-season. Uh, he was, you know, 2014, we're talking about a guy who can play, play tall, play small. He's physical. He's... Uh, um, you know, he's he's assured with the ball in hands, and was just a, just good at everything. And he just seemed to lose every facet of his of his game uh, this season. And it was really disappointing to see. Uh, I guess the, the the only really good thing about this season was that when he did finally get dropped, well well after he should have been um, too late, he um he then came in and played quite well in his last few games after being dropped. So um, yeah, that, I mean that was a credit. I'll uh, credit to him, but. Um, yeah, God, the first two-thirds of the year were ter- terrible. Uh, you really hope it was just a, a blip and whatever caused that um, uh, will, will has been fixed and and will be fixed going into next season. Because uh, it was quite good in the last few rounds, but just every facet of his game was, was shocking um, uh, in, in the first two-thirds of the year. Look, he's definitely got improvement. Um, hopefully we can see him back to his best because... As we know, he is such a, an important and versatile player. He can play on smalls, can play on tolls, uh, you know, can do a defensive uh, tagging job on midfielders. Um, he really can do it all. And you know, I'm looking forward to a big season from Tommy Jonas next year. And I've got no doubt he'll be, be back to his best after a big preseason. And hopefully he can uh, improve. And um, our defence will no doubt improve with it. Um, Next player to talk about, Hamish Hartlett. Uh, 25-year-old midfielder, played 22 games uh, every match for the first time in his career. Uh, 22.2 disposals a game is a career high, as was his uh, 3.4 clearances and six tackles per game. Uh, it was a bit of a different role for Hammer in 2015. He spent more time inside and, and maybe more time behind the ball as well. I think he did wonders for his personal game, uh, but maybe his lack of goals were uh, detrimental to the team at times. I feel that this year we saw Hamish Hartlett play the role that uh, Port tried to play Stephen Salopek in all that time ago. Um, just that what they call in draft parlance and uh, I suppose in America, they call that quarterbacking role where you're just sort of a little bit, little bit behind the play and setting it all up. Um, I think that with someone that's got his quality of kick, um, it's not a bad place for him to be. Uh, you could say that we missed out on his goal-kicking performance, but... Um, if he's being useful where he is, which he certainly was, then it's hard to blame him for not being somewhere else uh, when we certainly know that like the guy that we would normally rely on for that half-forward disposal like, most definitely would be someone like Jared Polek. Like, he's the guy that we are actually talking about missing, not 
Hamish Hartlett. Um, and certainly when Matt White was out, that was missing as well. And with Angus Monfries, and you know, we had a whole bunch of those goal kicking forwards that uh, would be doing what you just said, uh, and that we sort of Hamish Hartlett has done in the past. But playing where he was, he was valuable to the side, and I think he was probably going forward. That is that's his role in my view. Um, I wouldn't see a reason to justify him going forward unless yeah. it was for matchups or something like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely tend to agree. Um, yeah, I, I I think he had his, be- his best year. And I think he had a little bit of the opposite of what we were talking about, Boak, where, uh, I mean, apart from goals, his numbers weren't too different to, to what he was doing, um, what he was doing, uh, I guess, in, in previous years. But he just seemed to be so much more damaging with what he was doing. Uh, and that was a real credit to him. And whether that was the role he was playing, but he just really came into his own this year. Um, and, yeah, look, absolutely fantastic effort from him and, and a credit to him uh, to, you know, he's... Uh, I think a few years ago we talked about him just being constantly injured and then he's he's kind of always teased us without ever really showing that top form. And, uh, he, you know, if he, if he can play that well again then the other players can play that well around him, uh, he's going to be a very valuable player in hopefully a, a flag tilt. So full credit to him. He was definitely, the, I guess, the, uh, the the best improvement of any of our, um, our leadership group this year. It was really good to see him play well. Yeah, 100% agree. He had probably a little bit of a low patch mid-season, maybe a bit of a poor month where he was sort of, I guess, struggling to impact despite still getting really good numbers. Um, there were some calls for him to be dropped on the forums, um, but in the end, from the Sydney game onwards, he barely put a foot wrong and you know, it was almost close to our best player in the second half of the season. Yeah, uh, certainly he's the most consistent in a lot of, in, certainly in terms of his uh, the effectiveness of his uh, disposal. So when you saw him with the ball, you knew he was going to do something good with it, and that's hugely important but in a skill role that's kind of what you'd expect and what he is playing now is definitely a skill role um i think you'd have to say you'd be pretty satisfied with his year um and you'd also be a little bit ah gosh you'd be a little bit wondering why his name is being thrown around not by port but by opposition clubs as someone that might be unseatable at port adelaide because to everyone that watches port adelaide it looks like he's finally found his role uh, and to suggest that that might be an unstable position for him is just kind of bizarre, and I'm not sure what that's based in at all. I think it's more based yeah. on other teams wanting Hamish Hartlett in their side. I mean, if someone like Richmond or North Melbourne are prepared to offer yeah. 750 grand a year for Hamish Hartlett, then more power to them. And I guess if you're Hammer, you've maybe got to weigh that up because I don't think he's going to get that sort of money at Port. Um so no. I think it's really a case of uh, whether he takes that sort of godfather deal or whether he stays true at Port Adelaide. But um, in the last half an hour, an article went up on Fox Sports' website saying um, that he's actually close to re-signing a deal which should see him be a one-club one player, um, a long-term deal for Port. So hopefully that's the case. There's been a lot of uh, different sort of information going around from... You know, the Crows being interested to us, um, you know, almost being forced to trade him because of our salary cap and suddenly our salary cap's not an issue and, you know, it's, um, yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of information. So hopefully that one's a correct one and he signs a contract in the next couple of weeks. Oh, sorry. Uh, just absolute garbage, that trade talk. The only reason you, you'd be trading someone like uh, like Hamish Hartlett is if he was absolutely banging down the door. Uh, maybe he got a godfather offer or whatever or he just didn't want to be here anymore. Um I, it's it's staggering, you know. Like, can we just go to other teams' lists and pick one of their best performed players and say, oh yeah, he and they probably can't afford him. So you know, can we do that to Hawthorne? Can we say, oh Jordan Lewis? Geez, Hawthorne have got a lot of you know Premiership players. They probably can't afford to keep Jordan Lewis. So we'll have him. Thanks. You know, what what a load of crap. 
Um, unless he's banging down the door demanding to be traded, uh, he's not going anywhere. Mm. Uh, there's also one other thing I think about that, and if you think about Hartlett's football career, so the role we've finally found for him, it hasn't come quickly and it hasn't been a natural role for him. And it certainly has been one that has very much depended on the structure that Port Adelaide have put around him. Um, so we, we've already talked about, well, I've talked about extensively about how I love our defence right now. And he's certainly in that skill role. He depends heavily on all the players around him doing their jobs. So if you're Hamish Hartlett's manager and you're saying, oh, why don't you go play for Melbourne? Well, the reality is if he goes to Melbourne, that entire support structure that's making him viable in this role just completely vanishes. Um, I mean, we've already saw that, I suppose, with Melbourne. I've seen him a few times this year, like Lumumba, who normally looks like a decent player. Like, he was just shit for Melbourne because he didn't have that support. And I think that Hartler would be pretty much in the same boat. Mm. Um, he's a skilled player in a specialised position now. Um, and not every team has that has room for that position in their current structure. So I mm. think that limits his market if he wants to be a, a high-performing player in the future, uh, particularly with his tendency to have more injuries yeah. and troubles in other positions. Yeah. I mean, you look at Richmond and North Melbourne and, you know, Hamish Hartlett's probably the type of player that you want to try and attract. I mean, you know, North Melbourne are playing off for a grand final. Will they get there? Maybe not, but a big sort of performing uh, midfielder that's performed in big games, kicks goals, you know, can do it all. I mean, that's the sort of player that they really need in their side. And Richmond as well. I mean, you know, they're banging down the door of a premiership. So, you know, Hamish Hartlett's the type of player that you'd probably want to try and attract, to be honest. So... Which is strange because for, yeah. the, for the last, for the last couple of years I've actually been saying oh maybe we should actually look at trading Hamish Hartlett to try and attract a, a key position forward. So now that we've actually attracted a key position forward without having to trade Hamish Hartlett, I'm completely against it. So there there is one thought that's in my mind, which is that it's not a great thought. But if we were like if we're really baller this off season. Um, then the theory behind trading Hartlett is pretty similar to the theory we had a few weeks ago about potentially trading one of our attacking halfbacks in that if we did lose him, I think we could cover him. We'd lose a little bit of their top-end performance, but what we could potentially get in return could be quite large. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want us to do it, but I could see if Port were like really making a serious play, yeah, like we did back in the day when we got in someone like Dimmer, um, or, you know, one of our big recruits that we've brought in, like, I suppose, Wakelin or whoever else. Like, if we're really making a play, I could see that he could go, but I don't think we're that sort of team, but we could be. It'd be a big change. Would be a big change. We'd, uh, as he's under contract, you'd certainly want something pretty bloody good in return. Yeah. And I don't yeah, think a draft, pick would, uh, yeah. a draft pick wouldn't cut it. It would have to be a, a, you know, a top 10 player at a club. And the last player in the leadership group is uh, Ollie Wines, a 20-year-old uh, midfielder after playing 52 consecutive games from his debut in round one in 2013. We saw a glimpse of his body failing for the first time. Just played the 13 games this year, only 11 full ones, but still managed career highs all across the board. Uh, take out the Saints game where he got injured five minutes in and he averaged 26 touches, 5.6 tackles, um, six and a half clearances and four inside 50s a game. Uh, very, very impressive numbers for someone still so young. Yeah, um, he's a great player. I, there's no, I don't really have much to say about Lions because it's like, oh, yeah, that was a year. Uh, he's performed up to my expectations uh, in every respect, um, given particularly the injury. 
um, I think that we're just going to next year saying, yeah, yeah, Ollie Wines, he's, he's good, isn't he? And we just move on, in my view. I don't think there's a lot to say apart from he's a gun. He's an absolute gun. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> we're, at the, we're at the stage now where we almost just uh, just expect that a, a 20, 21-year-old uh, is going to be leading the line in our midfield, uh, being one of our best players. And it's, I mean, I guess a wing guard's a bit more flashy, but Wines just is, you know, he. I think we said a couple of years ago, he could just never get better, and he'd be, he'd end up being one of the, you know, a, a 250 gamer uh, club champion type midfielder. He'd probably end up with a couple of Australian guernseys once he was a bit more widely known. And um, yeah, look, just <laughs> what a star! It's a shame, but we, we really miss him this year in a lot of facets, especially the, uh, I guess, bullocking work around the packs and and his uh, his ability to get, get handballs out. And, and I think players like uh, like Boke especially really really would have missed him. So. So um, really hope he's back and fit and he gets a good preseason into him because he's such a good player. It's uh, it's almost unfair. Like We, we sucked when the expansion sides came in to um, just because we didn't get a top five pick despite winning eight games over two yeah. two years. Mm. But to end up with Wines and Wingard, uh, Karma was on our side. ridiculous, ridiculous uh, outcome for us. And uh, it really is launching us forward. So uh, fantastic. Looking forward to his next year. Hopefully he can stay fit because he's he's really important to us yeah he really did become an on-field leader in 2015 as well and he really did become that sort of pure midfield clearance winner uh the talk of him spending more time up forward in 2015 from the pre-season didn't really eventuate i assume we were struggling to win the bullet stoppages for much of the year and the club decided him to uh, to keep him in the middle uh, more often when he was on the park and um, I don't think he's unfallible. I was pretty critical of his bowl use at times. He can sometimes rush his disposal a little bit, maybe make some poor decisions here and there, but um, sometimes I, I don't think he really he realises how much space he's actually got out there. Um, yep. And I would actually love to see him um, actually spend some more time up forward. We, we know how damaging he can be, and he's a, a wonderful kick for goal. Um, and I think if we are to win a, a flag, Oli is the sort of player that really needs to bump that up and kick 20 to 25 goals a year for us. And I really do think with the emergence of Archie um, as a possible mainstay in the side, it should really give Ollie the opportunity to spend more time up forward. And I'd love for him to become that sort of Rashudo Buckley, Voss type that can go forward and, and kick a few goals every week. I, I think it would be nice, but I don't see it as a necessity um, for him to do that. Um, I think that if he just grinds it out every week, then we'd be pretty happy. That he, it would be good to see him get a bit more time, certainly in the next couple of years, but primarily from a development perspective rather than a team need, um, just to show that he can play that sort of game for when we do occasionally need him to. But if we're talking long-term, I mean, I think long-term, um, he's just going to be our grunt in midfield, realistically. I, I, I think that's where he is best suited for in every aspect of his game. Um, and as long as he doesn't start getting somehow shut out of that role, then uh, it's a sustainable role, really, for him to just keep playing for the rest of his career. Mm. Um, yeah, realistically, there's a lot. Of, there's a plenty yeah. of midfielders around the league that have not been goal kicking forward, uh, goal kicking half forwards, and they can be extremely good. I think Ollie's the type of play with that sort of body type. You know, he's hard to match up on. He's deceptively tall, very, very strong. Um, he could be that player that you know can rest in a forward pocket with the new rules next year and hopefully take a couple of grabs up forward and, and slot a few goals. I guess I've got two criticisms of him in that respect of either being a marking mid-forward or a, a running mid-forward. 
in that year, so I don't think he has the pace to play a, a real outside game, and I don't know that he's got the marking ability to play that that tough contested role. Um, I, I think those are probably the two weaknesses in his in his um, skill set, and they're both applicable to forward playing midfielders. I, I don't see it as something that'll ever be a strength for him personally. Yeah, oh, that's a fair call. Um, his best games throughout the year, round one versus Frio, he had 27 touches and two goals. He just loves playing against Frio. Um, I thought one of his uh, career best games was against Collingwood in round 15, uh, the Phil Walsh uh, tribute match where he had a career-high 33 disposals and 10 tackles, um, eight clearances and five inside 50s. Um, yeah. And you just yeah, you could just nice. tell how much that game meant to him. Yeah, look, he's got a lot of heart, there's no doubt. Um I kind of feel like yeah. when I'm watching uh, Ollie Wines play, I, I feel much the same way about his performance as I used to feel about Warren Treadray earlier on in his career, in that you could just see like he was all about the game um, and he just feels so confident. Like I remember watching Warren Treadray and you'd start clapping before he took a mark because it was just so certain it was going to happen and I'm beginning to feel like that really with Ollie Wines as far as clearances like, oh, there's Ollie. Yeah, this is sorted out. Let's see where he's going to get it to downfield. Um, it's just amazing how much confidence I've got in this young guy in such a short time. Uh, and he's just continued a fantastic form line of performance. It's just been really great to see, and we are so lucky to be having him at our side. Um, it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I, I, do, uh, I do tend to agree. You know, I, I wonder, going forward, you know, we, we, in his absence, we uncovered, uh, I guess, Archie and, and Sam Gray as kind of inside mid-types, uh, Archie especially, in that same kind of role. And I wonder, with the help he's going to get in that role, because he was really the, our, our main man. You know, I think, you know, going into the season, we hope maybe more would come on. Uh, but we really saw it from from, from Arch and, and Sam Gray, obviously not the big body, but uh, Sam Gray a little bit as an inside mid. Will we see uh, him given the opportunity to maybe get a bit more outside ball and develop that side of his game? Uh, because, uh, because he's not required to be uh, the bull at every single stoppage uh, and I, I'd really like to see that and he clearly reads the game quite well um, and and I've no doubt that he could uh, could develop that and maybe maybe learn to do things like kick goals uh, more frequently uh, because uh, uh, because he does he's not so required at every stoppage um, that's that you wouldn't want to water down what he is good at and and make him you know uh, and take away from that but uh, it'd be really good to see going into round one with I mean you'd have to assume at least two of those three guys getting picked probably all three uh and how that affects our stoppage setups this year because we had so much going against us this year with with wines out for a lot of the year um the ruckman issues all year uh, about who was rucking uh the ruckman injuries um below tapping into opposition players so I, i'm really looking forward to our, our stoppage setups because i think that's somewhere where we really can improve we've got so much stoppage talent there with uh you know the rolls royce of robbie gray um the you know the grit of, of travis boke and and how i, I Really want it to come together next year, and I really hope it does. Uh, I think that could really be where we launch our um, our, our premiership. Will be from that middle uh, middle part of the ground. So, mm. fingers crossed, he gets a bit more help next year, and he stays fit, and we can uh, we can really launch from there. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that's uh, that's it for this evening. It's been a long one. Do apologise for the uh, technical difficulties that we've had throughout this podcast. Um, Scorch, thanks for coming on again, mate. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. I suspect that I may be at fault for the lag. So I apologise to uh, all of our avid listeners for that. Hopefully uh, Macca's editing skills um, mean that you don't know what I'm talking about. But um, yeah, no, I apologise for that. But yeah, thanks again for having me. It was a really good uh, good chat about footy. Too easy. Porsche, pleasure as always. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, hopefully next week Skype will be 
less agitated than it was this week and we'll be able to record on the right night and without this horrible, horrible, horrible <laughs> lag. But, um, yeah, it was a good discussion. Um, I'm a little bit sad that it's over. I want, more, I want to talk more, but I'm not going to. It's too long. <laughs> All right, peeps. Until next time, go Port Adelaide. No worries. Go the power. Thanks very much. Go the power. Spears an inside 50. Schultz comes hard. Flicks it out. Bokes. Get It'll be appropriate. The captain. That is gold class. <laughs> Leadership agrees with Travis Boke. He's better.